Howdy, my name is Brandi Addison. I'm the Regional Agriculture and Environmental Reporter for the USA Today Network's West Texas region. And this is Weird West Texas, the podcast. Each month, we'll explore some of the most odd, eccentric, and sometimes just plain weird things in our region. From the northernmost town of Hitchland, down into the big country, eastward into the Rolling Plains, and all the way to El Paso. This month, we're exploring the origins of Lubbock's signature cocktail, the Chilton, and the mysterious tunnels that stretch beneath our region. Now let's get weird, y'all. Today, I'm with my editor, Adam DeYoung. How are you, Adam? Doing well. How are you, Brandy? Good. Did you get a haircut? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, but it was really short, so oh, it, okay. it still shows. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad to have you here again, uh, talking weird things. West Texas are weird and wonderful West Texas, right? Yeah, I'm particularly interested in this one. We had fun with the Chilton story, yeah. going out and speaking with one of your favorite bartenders in town, uh, cousin over at West Table. Yeah, we did have a lot of fun with it. We mentioned him in a podcast. We went over and taste tested Chilton's. I really enjoyed the blueberry one um, for World Cocktail Day, right? Made a video with him. And he's pretty well established himself as the face of the Chilton now. He's like in at least half a dozen videos and articles at this point related to the Chilton. So I think he was just the perfect source for that. Absolutely. I think you said you recently saw that Lubbock Economic Development Alliance featured the Chilton and the, the story, the Lubbock lore behind uh, its its origin story. Yeah, yeah. There was, um, yeah, some, something downtown. I know that much. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Visit Lubbock has featured it. Texas Monthly has featured it. Chilton is really picking up the pace here now. So, I'm, and I'm happy to see that, right? It landed on, what, the front page for us as well? Yeah, we gave it some nice play. Our uh, photographer, Annie Rice, got some nice photos. And we also had a different shoot with Mark Rogers, one of our photographers. So just, I always like a good um, cocktail um, photo shoot. Yeah. Pretty photos. So, you know, talking about the children, it's certainly not the weirdest thing in West Texas, right? It's not even weird at all. I do think it has an interesting background, though, in that one, it's like one of the only cocktails I would say, like in the nation, that we could actually really, most people familiar with it are also familiar with its origin place, its location, right? Like, sure, like, we do know that the Manhattan is from New York City, and some people may say the mint julep is from the Kentucky Derby, right? Um, but I didn't necessarily know that the Sazerac was from LA, right? Or just, you know, various different drinks. But everyone who is familiar with the Chilton does know that the Chilton came from Lubbock, right? I mean, you you would say that's likely? Yeah, that's increasingly the story I've heard. It's the, you know, the origin of this Dr. Chilton who mysteriously showed up at the country club and uh, had a very specific but simple drink request. And um, the date's always uh, kind of out there. Perhaps, I think you've said it might have started during the uh, Prohibition era. Yeah, or, that's what the cousin believes, yeah. yeah. But uh, I think that the agreed upon things are usually that uh, it was at the country club and it was in Lubbock. And uh, despite the relatively simple um, ingredients that go into a Chilton, which is just club soda, ice, um, salted rim, lots of lemon juice and vodka, uh, I guess the idea is that it originated here and not elsewhere. You got to say soda water for the Chilton, though. It's not club soda. I know it's the same thing in theory, but you got to say soda water. Like, I, I, I don't understand why. That's just how it goes. Soda water, seltzer. Nope, it's got to be soda water. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, as Adam said, basically 
some mysterious figure named Dr. Chilton. We don't know if Dr. Chilton was even real, if Dr. Chilton was a male or a female. Um, just went up to the bar one day after playing golf and demanded, not demanded, but, you know, instructed, rather, the bartender to make a Chilton. Basically, he said, you know, grab a highball glass, salt the rim, pour some ice, add a standard shot of vodka, um, add the juice of two lemons, and then pour the rest of, you know, fill the rest up with soda water. So it's it's very simple for sure. I mean, I don't know. I do like the, I, I like the deviations of it though. Like I like the blueberry one and I really enjoy the elderberry one. Yeah, there were just, you know, based on different bars in town and just a uh, personal preference, there were some, you know, add-ins and enhancements. Um, I guess different bartenders or folks have to, I guess, personalize it, but still has those base ingredients. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, and, you know, it's really influenced a lot of various drinks here as well. They have, like, the Chilton cocktail in the can now from uh, Tupps Brewery and Plano, I believe. Plano or McKinney. Over in Collin County, they have Tupps Brewery made a uh, Chilton cocktail in a can, essentially kind of just like a seltzer, like a ranch water in the can, right? Um, but, you know, we also have, like, the Chilton goes at... Two dogs, right? Um, so it's just it, it's interesting to see how much it inspired around the state. It's it's not really made its name outside of Texas yet. Um, honestly, it's just making its way to San Antonio right now, cousin said. But it's it's really um, stuck home here and a little bit in the DFW area, but not much. But that's just because we have so many tech grads in DFW, right? So I mean, that's pretty much how that's happened. But yeah, I thought that was just a really good piece for you or that you identified to pursue with your uh, uh, developing Weird West Texas series just because there are some uh, knowns about it, but just uh, so many rumors. It's just been a good series to kind of uh, uh, explain an origin story. So I thought that uh, ended up being a good read. Yeah, but we never found it. <laughs> we still don't have the origin story. You know, like the Texanist with Texas Monthly, as I noted in my story, he went on a similar hunt to, an, you know, for an answer, rather. Um, and he was able to talk to someone who worked there all the way back into the 70s. And it had already existed by the time she started as a bartender there. Um, and so, like you mentioned earlier, there's this idea that maybe it happened during the Prohibition era. So that was an idea that I got from Cousin because Cousin said, um, well, one, like any of the ingredients, if you bought them, it wouldn't, ne it, it doesn't necessarily lend itself to an alcoholic beverage, right? Like lemon doesn't, soda water doesn't, salt doesn't. So it, ne it wouldn't really um, raise eyebrows, you know, at the grocery store. If you're buying these things, people just think you're going to cook with it or whatever. And then Grain alcohols are a lot more accessible for us here because we grow those crops, right, to make them. So corn, sorghum, wheat, whatever. So that that's just kind of where his theory is. He he doesn't know for sure. That's his own perception. Um, but I like that he said he thought he was kind of charming that, one, it started at the country club, and we can pinpoint that. But he thinks it's really just interesting that, um, you know, everybody can make up their own story for it. And that's his story, and I really like that. Um, interpretation that he had there. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the Lubbock is the agreed upon city there, though, so that was you know, worth blending in for this series. Yeah, yeah. Well, we do know that. And I also thought it's really cool that, like, just like he, he's now a big part of the story, too. Like I said, he's kind of the face of the Chilton now for Lubbock. Um, but, you know, he mentioned to us that he, whenever he started 
dating his now wife, um, that her grandmother would make Chilton's, uh, just a batch of Chilton's, every single morning. And he thought this was a drink specifically for her. So after we did that video with him, I thought it was really sweet. He was like, I think she would be proud of me today, knowing that, like, here I am doing this. And, like, people associate me with her favorite drink these days. I think that's sweet. Absolutely. And he certainly makes them a lot better than I did when I was experimenting with them. We had our sports editor, Carlos Silva, join us for that uh, taste testing session. And uh, I, I, he said he usually didn't like the Chilton's. He, he had one that I made at my house. I think it upset his stomach. And he was, uh, he was not a happy camper. But he believe Carlos thought the ones that cousin made were considerably better. So I don't know, I guess just what a bartender can do versus what I'm going to be able to do in my living room. Yeah. And you don't use salt anyway. So, you know, that changes it. <laughs> well, yeah, but you know, I, I did have a few people email me. I actually had one guy call me twice. He came from Portland. Obviously I wasn't going to answer a Portland number on first call, but I did. I am happy. I answered eventually. Um, he worked at the country club, and he said that the first person to create the Chilton was called Ernest Hicks. He was a bartender there, and he says that it was in the 60s. Like, I asked him, wait, it didn't date back to the Prohibition era? Because, you know, it made sense to me that it would. And he was like, well, hell no. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, like, just this really cute country drawl. I thought it was really sweet that he said that. Um, and have you ever heard someone say sweet, like, while you're getting cussed at? Oh, a little bit or bust your heart, you things like that, it yeah. Was, it was a sweet thing. It was sweet, yeah. I know. But no, it was funny. I'm just hearing him because he seemed really passionate about it. And he said, you know, no, it wasn't from the 60s. Um, and, you know, I've, I've gone down and actually seen a couple other emails. I got one from Melissa H. who said she wouldn't doubt the origin, referring to the Prohibition era, because um, she remembers that in the late 60s, her mom would make a Chilton for her dad. He also worked at L Lubbock Country Club as an assistant golf pro. So it only sounds logical to her. Um, let's see. Larry S. said he was a bartender in Lubbock beginning in 1976, Main Street and Avenue X, Uncle Nasty's to be exact. Now, we talked about this. Uncle Nasty's wasn't here while you were around? No, I don't. I'm, if it was, it wasn't one that I was ever invited to. Oh, well, hey, sorry. <laughs> um, and so he said that the Chilton was already well-established the year that he became a bartender. Um, he ran nightclubs throughout Lubbock until 2003, and they've always been a staple at Lubbock. And then Chris V., he said, without going into a million details, his grandpa started um, a catering business and a couple of restaurants in Lubbock. He grew up in Lubbock as well. It is truly his hometown, he says. We are at one point the largest catering business between Dallas and Phoenix and fed people all over West Texas. We used to feed all the bands and their road crews that came to the area and played at the old Coliseum. We were going to be the caterer for the grand opening of the Civic Center in 1976, but the Big Texan Steakhouse beat us on price, and they catered the first dinner in that building from their now-closed-and-bulldozed restaurant on 50th. Is that the same one as the one up in Amarillo? Is that the name of the one in Amarillo? The the Big Texan Steakhouse? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's the famous one where they have the 72-ounce steak competition, but I thought... Is that the same one from Lubbock here? Um, shame on me for not knowing, but I'm not sure. You're supposed to be the Lovick Encyclopedia, Adam. I've only been here since 2005. Only. Um, anyway, he said, they drink Chilton's all the time. He learned to make them at a young age, as everyone should. You need to go um, have a lesson for <laughs> Violet and Lavender later. Good. Chilton bartendering? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Uh, yeah. I mean, when I made them at my house, my uh, nine-year-old daughter was uh, intrigued, and she wanted me to make her one, so I made her a virgin Jolton. It was just some uh, some fizzy water and, and, and lemon juice, but she felt like she was part of the group. Well, that's all that matters. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so I, I just think it's really interesting. I had a lot of people reach out about the Chiltons. I had, like, someone from my kid's daycare, like, hey, I saw that story. You know, it, it was just really weird seeing uh, that a bunch of people now associate me with that one Chilton story, too. So I thought that was cool. Yeah, so um, let's go into the tunnels. Those were, I mean, that was a, probably my longest story since I've been here in June. It's pretty lengthy. Um, but there were a lot of areas to touch, right? I mean, did you learn anything from it? I did. I liked the background that you had about the uh, the tunnels in the El Paso area and uh, kind of different origins and, you know, explanations for why they might be there. Yeah, you know, so I thought that one was really interesting because it went from, you know, smuggling immigrants to being Chinese opium dens to, um, you know, smuggling arms during the Mexican revolution. Uh, so it's just interesting to see that. And so even um, uh, an expert within the Border Patrol, right, he told Fox 2018, or sorry, Fox News in 2018, that he believed it was to um, smuggle immigrants as well. Um, but some local historians were like, uh, you know, I don't know if that's possible. You're not gonna build a tunnel beneath a river, right? So I don't know. Yeah, just I know there are a lot of uh, tunnels. You hear about some in like eastern New Mexico and, and, and places like that that are usually um, for immigrant smuggling and things like that. But yeah, I don't. I've never heard of one going under the river. No, it seems like it'd be a pretty tedious task. So I don't know. Um, I did think it was interesting that a researcher out there who is specifically researching the. Um, yeah, researching. Researchers researching, um, specifically <laughs> researching the Chinese population in El Paso. She said that it probably did make sense that it would be immigration as far as the Chinese Exclusion Act. So I, I don't know. I, what do you think about that? Yeah, I don't know. I really can't speak to that. I'm not an um, El Paso expert, but I know that the tunnel system that I was a little bit more interested in that you pursued I mean, was the uh, origin of the, the what, eight plus miles under the Texas Tech campus here in Lubbock. Yeah, so technically the stories I read said nine to 12 miles. I don't think they actually have an exact number on it. Um, the tunnels were constructed with the first construction of... Administration the building and the yeah. old campus, and they, they've just generally built them around. Yeah. I know going back to when I was a student at the Daily Torridor, or when I was a student writer at the Daily Torridor on the, on the Texas Tech campus, I did my own piece just on the um, the tunnels and explaining what they were for. Mm -hmm. So I had a pretty good understanding of that and, and interest. So I was uh, um, encouraged when you wanted to pursue a story on that topic. Yeah, and it's mainly just for like systemic things, right? Utilities, yeah, hot water, utilities, steam, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Fiber optic lines to some extent, but a lot of students think that they are there for exploring and doing shenanigans. Yeah, and we're going to note here that it is totally illegal to trespass any of the tunnels that we have covered without permission. Um, you know, I'm sure that you could get permission, even if you're not a journalist. I'm sure y'all could get permission if you are that interested. Um, just got to find the right people. That said, yeah, um, you know, there was this kind of folklore going around that said that that a guy would go like walk around campus at night, you know, sneak around and then broke into the tunnels so he could make it to his girlfriend's dorm and then he got trapped behind him. Um, 
I would like to think that tech students are a little bit smarter than that, right? That they can't find their way in or out of a tunnel that has multiple exits, or maybe at that point it would have only been one exit and one entrance. Yeah, that story, that rumor seems like uh, uh, probably a bridge too far to believe, but, you know, it's just kind of in line with a, a good mystery there. I know our, uh, once you shared that story, the uh, Texas Tech Alumni Association President Kurt Lingford recently shared, um, I guess, his take and uh, memories of being a student, if you don't mind me sharing this one. Yeah, yeah. He uh, uh, wrote about the, or he recalled that uh, some not so good memories he had as his time as a student when he was chased by a university policeman beneath campus by, uh, on his freshman year and narrowly escaped uh, up a manhole. He said, getting caught underground was grounds for immediate expulsion. Uh-oh. Wait, so he, he made it up, though, right? Yeah, he was able to, apparently he was able to escape, according to Kurt. Well, you know, and look where he is now. So, good on him for making his way out of there. Um, I also got an email about it, and uh, Chuck H. said, I just read with interest your piece on the mysterious tunnels under our feet across the southern high plains area. It brings to mind an old acquaintance in our dorm group during the mid-1970s at West Texas A&M, then West Texas SU. What does the SU stand for? West Texas State University. State University, oh, okay, in Canyon. Herb Smith was a tech transfer and would tell us all about the maze of tunnels he and others explored while at tech. Different groups were under such names as the Tech Tunnel Rats and so forth. His prized memento from this era, a map of the system he still possessed. Now that would be cool to have now. Don't know whatever happened to him as we all went our separate way. Anyway, just some old memories kindled by your article. Um, I bet there's a lot of tunnel rats, though, in tech. <laughs> Tunnels. Understood. I know there are various access points. I, I'm not going to specifically mention them, but they're kind of hard to miss around campus. No, no, I'm talking about actual rats, though. Or, you know, prairie dogs. Prairie dogs? I don't know about prairie dogs, but yeah, I'm sure there are rats, cockroaches, bugs like that. But I don't remember seeing one on my tour of the tunnels, but it's been a while. Would have stood out. No snakes. It's like <laughs> Indiana Jones and the, uh, you know, going down. It's, it just had to be snakes. That was that's certainly what I didn't want to see down there. But no snakes. Thirteen lion squirrels. Any of those? You know, they got to find somewhere in the winter. And it makes sense that infrastructure underground would be a good place for them. I don't know, but it does get hot down there. Didn't you say it was pretty warm down there? I don't recall that. I don't recall it being warm. <laughs> I, it was either extremely warm or extremely cold. I can't quite remember. I've read so many stories about it. Um, and one of the funniest things that I read was from the Daily Toreador, then the University Daily, where the, one of the writers suggested that they um, did classes in the tunnels during World War II and said, you know, if some jokester wanted to turn the lights off, it doesn't matter because most students are in the dark as far as their classes are anyway. <laughs> um, I love a good tech joke. <laughs> You know, they had good commentaries back then. And today, you know, between the thing about the tortilla toss and how it derived because of um, Texas Tech would graduate the most Taco Bell managers. And this one, I thought it was really funny. I am an instructor at Tech and Adam's wife works at Tech. We are big Tech fans. We're both graduates. So, you know, it's just funny to poke on your own school, but not as much as it is to poke on OU and UT. It's true. Uh, I like that a little bit better. An A&M for sure. But yeah, so we got the Texas Tech tunnels and El Paso tunnels. Now, let's talk about how weird it was that this uh, resident just found a tunnel in his backyard. I don't think he found a tunnel in his backyard. I think they were doing yard work and they thought it was a sinkhole. Can it 
it collapsed a little bit, but there was an entire construction out there. Um, and they actually never found like the purpose of the tunnel, right? It stretched 90 feet. It was three feet wide, six feet tall. So it's a pretty good sized tunnel. Being supported with railroad ties, it was a fairly substantial, um, yeah. I guess, bit of engineering. Um, yeah, it yeah. looked like it was certainly intelligently put there for some reason, but the, I know the, uh, the purpose was never quite clear or determined, but that, that was in 2013 when that made the rounds, and I know you got some feedback on that. Yeah, yeah. So a historian at the National Ranching Heritage Center at Tech had decided then that he, he was going to research, but his first guess was that it also had to do with the Prohibition era because, um, like I've noted, you know, farmers, ranchers, they like to drink after a hot day. And, you know, Prohibition era is probably a little bit tougher on West Texas than some boring place, <laughs> you know, that didn't drink as much, that didn't have as many uh, blue collar workers and outdoor workers. Um, so, you know, I th this also came back to the Prohibition era. And his um, theory was that... Um, there was a lot of activity going on as far as bootlegging close to Plainville um, and close to Leveland, right? there. He uh, remembered reading through the archives of the AJ that um, police officers would literally just go chase down bootleggers on foot. <laughs> Funny, you know, they are bootleggers, so <laughs> they, they go on foot they with literal, like, alcohols in their boots, right? Because that's what bootlegging is, which... I put two and two together that day. I didn't actually necessarily ever understand the process of bootlegging. So when he taught me that, my mind was kind of blown. Um, that's not how they do bootlegging these days, right? It's just like they drive up in the car nonchalantly and just like bring alcohol after 2 a.m. like and just charge $40 for a 12-pack of beer, right? That's how it goes these days. Um, <laughs> you're doing the math there. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. I don't know. At this point, I think it probably there are other... Uh, um, I guess banned substances that are being bootlegged, probably not alcohol as much since it's pretty readily available. Yeah, but not after 2 a.m. And Lubbock doesn't like to shut down at 2 a.m. Lubbock likes to keep it going, you know, so. Fair enough. For those who don't plan ahead, I guess I get that. Yeah, there's definitely bootleggers around here. Um, keeping my mouth shut on that one, though. Um, I do not know from experience, I promise. Um and so, yeah, I, I thought that was really interesting that that also went back to the Prohibition era. It just, like, really shows what a toll this era took on West Texas. Um, and, you know, obviously they had to make money back then. I'm sure farming and ranching is not necessarily the most high-paying job back in the 20s, uh, you know, early 30s. But, yeah, so his first theory was that it was the Prohibition era, and maybe they were just, like, you know, smuggling alcohol down there. Um, and so, of course, I called him because I didn't want to report old news from literally a decade ago. And I was like, hey, you know, you were mentioned in this story a decade ago. I don't know if you remember it or not, but, uh, and of course he remembered it because it's not every day that you find a tunnel in your backyard. Um, and he said that he thought that maybe it also could have been an old mining tunnel, um, but there were no mining tunnels around Lubbock. They were mainly up in like Amarillo area, but none around Lubbock. So he kind of exonated that. He also had even researched history like within, um, you know, one of the state that, you know, databases and that didn't prove it. So his idea is still that it was prohibition era. Um, 
And he even said, you know, that they never could find an answer, that they did a ton of research. They went through a bunch of different possibilities. Um, and, you know, this is really the best he could get. And um, he noted that this is, you know, the, his idea, they kind of gravitated towards this because Lubbock County only recently lifted their packaged alcohol ban, right? Like, sell, rather, you know, the strip was around so, since 2009 or, you know, ended the strip was around until 2009, so that's still pretty recent that Lubbock County began to allow the sale of packaged alcohols. So it, it makes sense to me. Sure, just the kind of culture of having to um, do underground, uh, I guess, business to some extent. But yeah, I, I suspect that was probably not for bootlegging. My, my thought is it probably was just somebody digging. Maybe it began as a uh, storm shelter or a tornado shelter and just uh, became a, a tunnel project. I don't know. It was 90 feet. <laughs> you know, like what's the purpose of having a 90 foot tunnel? It makes sense to me that it could be storage for bootlegging perhaps you were you were really fixated on the bootlegging thing but yeah perhaps you're right i don't know i don't know i'm just like going through my theories i don't know why anyone would go build a 90 foot tunnel just for storms that seems like way too much effort perhaps so fallout shelter i mean possibility uh, you know store food down there maybe they had a couch down there at one point it was a big tunnel 90 foot long uh, actually, it was only three feet wide, so X may the couch. Finesse some extra square footage out of a, a house that's um, smaller than you wanted it to be. Yeah. Get some underground tunnel space. Maybe they put a dog down there. A, a man cave, perhaps, or entertainment tunnel. I don't know. I don't know. I know my neighbor has a... A dog run? <laughs> yeah, it could have been a dog run. A really dark dog run. I don't, I don't know. I, I just, I, I don't know. That's really funny, though. I'm just thinking, like, of all the possibilities. Like, I don't even, like, know what I would do if there was a 90-foot tunnel under my house. I would probably explore it, but uh, I would let somebody know. I had this uh, nightmare thinking about that tunnel, that if I, I would explore it, not let anybody know where I was, and then there would be some cave-in, and I would be buried alive. I was thinking about that late last week. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds terrible. No, I mean, that's pretty scary. Yeah, I don't know if the residents ever, like, um, went down there, but I know the archivist didn't, uh, and none of the city people did, because obviously no one wanted to go to a mysterious tunnel. Yeah, I'd want to take, like, a, an oxygen tank and let everybody know I was there and have my cell phone. I don't even know if, depending on how far underground it is, if it would ping down there, but... Um, I don't know. I, I thought about that way too much. The, the tunnel I'm much more comfortable exploring is the... Uh, tunnel that traverses Avenue J um, between the uh, the two AJ buildings going to our old warehouse that had uh, some signage that it had been a fallout shelter back during the uh, height of the Cold War. Uh, uh, my daughter's used to like checking that out. You did not tell me that. I thought it was like merely for like just like moving papers from our place to the warehouse. Well, that was its primary purpose was for logistical reasons, oh, okay, for okay. Uh, transporting equipment and uh, the, I guess, large uh, uh, paper rolls from the nearby uh, section of railroad tracks, but being protected by a bunch of street and uh, layers of ground, uh, they also um, turned that into a, or at least utilized it as a potential fallout shelter if there was ever an issue. And it was also a tornado shelter a few years ago. We would do our um, tornado drills and hang out down there. 
it's also a uh, very good ramp for uh, chair races. Yeah, I haven't done that yet, but someday, someday. Um, yeah, so, it, you know, it was interesting that I learned that, like, not only does the AJ have a tunnel, which you told me while I was working on this, because um, that's just interesting since I've worked here for now, what, nearly a year? Um, <laughs> so um, I do come into the newsroom, y'all, I promise. Um, <laughs> but it, it's just really interesting that I didn't even know that. That was not part of my first day of work tour. It's not on the orientation training. No, but we went to the roof on the first day of work, you know, so... Well, sure. I, got, I show you the best vantage point to see the um, approaching haboobs. Yeah, yeah. And best place to watch the fireworks on 4th of July. Um, but it was interesting to learn that, like, basically every historic building, every building, you know, that's pretty old in downtown has a tunnel to it. Um, there were some theories that there were some bomb shelters around, which maybe they were talking about the AJ one. I don't know, like as a fallout shelter. Um there are some theories that you can get to the bank vault through a tunnel, which I can't imagine that that would necessarily be like the smartest move to get to the bank vault. Um, but I'm not completely rolling that out. Yeah, that's some Ocean's Eleven level uh, planning for a, a heist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially considering that like we're in Lubbock, Texas, and that bank's been around for a while, right? Like, I don't, I don't think that they would have gone into that much of planning. Um, but they did use this to transfer inmates, right? Yeah, there was a, a tunnel, you know, connecting, you know, for logistical purposes with the jail, you know, helping for transport of inmates uh, for court proceedings and things like that and getting to the Sally port. But um, there's not too much of a mystery. It was just kind of a matter-of-fact tunnel that they had there. No, yeah, it was the most accessible way. It made sense. Like, you know, they didn't you know, want inmates to argue with one another or fight, according to a story with KLBK that I read about it. Um, so it makes sense, but now they don't even have to do that because, one, you know, they moved where the inmates are. You know, the sheriff's office is now not here. Um, but also, uh, thanks to COVID, they can now do their court hearings via Zoom. So that's the virtual tunnel. Is that what you said last week? Yeah. <laughs> the new the new tunnel is waiting for the host to let you in the meeting. That's that's the new Lubbock inmate tunnel. It's not as fun to explore. No, uh, no, no, but you know, it is what it is at this point. It's probably a lot less scary. You know, could you imagine like having to walk through a like mysterious tunnel to go to court? I guess uh, with your uh hands and legs bound by cuffs yeah. uh, down into the abyss. Yeah, I don't know. I want to avoid getting a mugshot and being led down a tunnel. Yeah, I mean, that's something I don't want to avoid. And then getting on the front page of the AJ. <laughs> that, you know, you specifically. Yeah, you all would probably roll with that if, if somehow I ended up booked for some reason. Oh, I would absolutely do the best for that um but you're not going to because you know you're you know you're well behaved <laughs> yeah okay well um yeah did we talk about them oh we we didn't talk about the clarity tunnel yet yeah that's the best for last yeah i mean that's what i saved it that's yeah. one that's actually uh something that people can explore and uh i guess plan into a per, perhaps a, a day trip from lubbock or amarillo or um cities around the region go up to caprock canyon state park and check out this uh, old railroad tunnel and include that on a, a hike, right? 
Yeah, it was only one of three in Texas anyway, which I think is cool. Uh, but I thought it was really cool that it kind of has become a home for bats, 500,000 bats, in fact. So I think that's really cool. It's not necessarily like a, um, I, I forget the actual term they use for like birthing bats, you know, for growing the population as far as bat pups. Uh, it technically can't serve as a birthplace for them or an actual home to them because they need a closed-in space, you know, an enclosed space, but the tunnels open on both sides, which makes it a lot cooler than what they need or a lot hot, hotter, you know, um, and depending on the week um, or month. <laughs> no, depending on the hour. and what sex It's is. not the controlled envi environment yeah, of a yeah. cave or a cavern that they see right. like at, at Carlsbad or some of the ones that they have down in... Uh, um, in central Texas, but yeah, but you know there are some still like being born there. It's just not like as much as you would see, right? In those places you mentioned, I don't know. I can't remember. Are caves hot or are they cold? <laughs> I feel like they're really cold, right? I think more than anything, they are a uh, like a, a consistent environment because it's controlled by the the ground temperature. Typically, I, mean, right. I imagine they get a little colder in the winter. Right, that makes sense. I don't know. Bats are warm-blooded? That's right. Okay, They yeah. are mammals. Yeah. I'm second-guessing everything I ever learned in biology here. So <laughs> regardless, um, it's definitely a cool place to explore. I actually, one of my favorite sources, Mike Glass, told me that Clarity Tunnel, he lived out by Clarity Tunnel, and he really enjoyed visiting there. So definitely encouraged me to go. Um, I actually haven't been to Caprock Canyons at all, so I, I need to make my way up there. I always, I, I didn't know it existed until I moved back up here. I always had heard about Paladero, you know, I didn't know that we had so many state parks around here. Like we have one in Big Spring and, you know, we have some out in Pecos and of course, Fort Davis and Big Bend, lots of nice places to visit around here. Yeah, I, I'm really just interested about the bike. I was about to say Vikings. No, no Vikings up there. Bisons up there. I was really interested about the bisons. Um, I, I don't know. I, I didn't realize that we had bison around here. Do we have some over at Buffalo Springs, too? Not to my knowledge. I feel like someone said that there was some also in, like, the kind of um, the canyons over there, like Ransom Canyon, those types of areas, like maybe a few. But I don't know if that's true or not since it's not state land. Yeah, there might be some private bison collector out there, but I'm not familiar with a, a, a bison herd or um, individual bison out there. Okay, well. Cool. Well, regardless, uh, yeah, I'm excited to go visit the Clarity Tunnel, hopefully this year. This summer, right? Once I get back from New York. Yeah, June, good uh, early summer vacation trip. Day trip. A day trip, yeah, not vacation trip. I'm not going to go take some PTO to go on vacation in Plainview. I'm sorry. It's just not, you know, not in my plans. But, hey, it is what it is. Good topics. What are some other uh, topics you're looking at for, uh, I guess, upcoming West Texas, uh, weird West Texas pieces? Yeah, so I want to hit um, the UFO sightings for sure. That's going to be my next one, UFO sightings reported across West Texas. Although I am not going to hit Lubbock Lights because I feel like that is pretty interesting enough that it deserves its own little column and episode. But we will talk about UFOs. Um, throughout the time, I'm going to talk about some, you know, the black-eyed children in Aveline, which is kind of this... Um, 
What what would you describe them as? Yeah, I, I gather just kind of a mysterious sighting that I guess really seemed like it happened around the time I was in high school or yeah. perhaps a little before, but I never heard about this. Yeah, it was actually a journalist with the Avalanche Reporter News, right, that reported that first sighting and then he wrote that there was another sighting up in Washington or Oregon or something, just kind of like this, like, phenomena, right? A supernatural being. The kind of stuff that would be on Coast to Coast AM or overnight talk radio conspiracy theory stuff. Yeah, more, I know more on that to come in the next episode. Do you have a different tale to tell about any of our topics? Don't hesitate to tell us. You can reach out to the Lubbock Avalanche Journal or Amarillo Globe News on Facebook or Twitter. You can also send an email to bAddison at lubbockonline.com with the subject line Weird West Texas or shoot us a text at 806-496-4073. 